Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. It means a lot to us that you've decided to make this service a part of your spiritual rhythm today. Whether you're live in the room with us, watching online, or at some point in the future. If you are just visiting, this is the kind of place that anyone can call home. If you are curious about church, this is a safe place to check out the claims of Jesus. It's a great place to have doubts and questions about spirituality. If you followed Christ your whole life, this is the kind of place that cares about your spiritual journey. We are committed to helping you grow. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your church home, or if you just have questions, please let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions in the resources section of our website. And now, let's join our service. Medicalnewstoday.com defines an adrenaline junkie as a person who enjoys taking part in activities that trigger the release of epinephrine, which is commonly known as an adrenaline rush. Uh, They will often enjoy partaking in thrilling, exciting, or intense activities. Uh, This isn't a medical definition, but describes what we might call thrill-seekers daredevils, risk-takers. I've never really thought of myself as an adrenaline junkie. And then I started writing this message, and I had to think through my life. Uh, This is my favorite roller coaster at Busch Gardens in Tampa, Florida. Its name is Shakra, and it's uh, the the tension begins with a 200-foot climb before they dangle you for a few seconds, followed by a 90-degree, 70-mile-an-hour drop that's guaranteed to leave your stomach behind. I can't tell you how many times I've ridden this ride and my stomach gets left behind every time. I think you're upside down six times on the ride, looping, corkscrewing, you know the drill. (laughs) And then this is me on my, uh, celebrating my 50th birthday with Tony Snook plummeting from 8,000 feet above the earth, falling about 200 feet per second, fast enough before the parachute opened to make my face look that pretty. (laughs) Both of those make this next one seem a little tame, I guess, but it was a high adrenaline moment for me as I faced my fear of snakes with Joaquin out in the Amazon, Uh, For the record, I only faced my fear. I didn't conquer it. I still hate snakes. (laughs) Oh, and did I mention climbing a glacier in Patagonia? And then I I did feed a tiger just outside of Buenos Aires, too. So I guess I might be an adrenaline junkie in denial. When a person becomes afraid, excited, or emotionally charged, the adrenal glands produce the hormone epinephrine. Now, this is a simplified explanation for the record. All of you medical professionals can relax. I don't even play a doctor on TV, so the complexities of the body are beyond me. 
for us non-medical professionals, other stuff happens too. Epinephrine is responsible for the fight or flight reaction controlled by uh, your limbic system in the brain. The limbic system bypasses rational thought when it's in control. The hormone dilates the air passages of the body, allowing them to receive higher levels of oxygen. Epinephrine also contracts blood vessels, allowing the body to redirect blood toward your heart, your lungs, and major, major muscle groups, which then allows you to fight the danger or flee to safety. You could also use the word stress to describe what I'm talking about. This is your body's response to stress. Now, experiencing some stress can be normal. It, it is normal. It can even be good for your health. Positive stress can help us get out of our comfort zone. Positive stress can help us solve problems and get things done. Uh, positive stress motivates us. It focuses our energy. It feels exciting and improves our performance. And it's usually short-term. Getting married, having a baby, taking a vacation, getting a promotion at work are generally all positive stressors. On the other hand, negative stress causes anxiety or concern. It feels unpleasant. It decreases performance. It can be overwhelming, making you feel unable to cope with the situation. It can lead to mental and physical problems. Chronic stress is, according to the drug company Pfizer, stress that lasts anywhere from two weeks to months. Life for all of us, all seven billion of us, changed in March of 2020. Now, I, I know I don't really need to recap the past 18 months, but let's think about it, this for just a moment. In what seems like a moment, our lives were turned upside, upside down. We had to reinvent everything, quarantining, social distancing, isolation, homeschooling, homeschooling while working from home, if you still had work. For too many, it was navigating the overloaded unemployment system. And in too many people, fear won the day. Fear of COVID, fear of losing a home, fear of not having enough toilet paper. For the first time in 2,000 years, the church, capital C, didn't meet in person to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Unthinkable. Add racial tension, social tension, political tension, the politicization of COVID and the response to it, the constant conversations and arguments about everything. We have been under chronic stress for 18 months. For better or worse, and in this case for worse, COVID has made us all adrenaline junkies and it has taken its toll. I was talking to my sister-in-law, who is a teacher, earlier this summer. I, I asked her how she was doing. She said the last 15 months at that time, it was 15 months, uh, she was running on adrenaline. Everything shut down except for survival. 
And only now was she beginning to come down off of the adrenaline high. I couldn't think of a better way to describe this season we've been in. An adrenaline high, but an emotional low. And for many, too many, a spiritual low. As I said earlier, when you are in fight-or-flight mode, your limbic system takes over and cuts off access to your higher reasoning. This is a good thing when you are facing a hungry tiger. You don't want to pause and think through the options at hand. Your brain narrows it down to two for you, run or fight. You can process all the coulda, shoulda, wouldas later if you live to fight another day. Right now, it's survival. Now, think about that in our context. We've been living to fight another day in survival mode, but life has still been happening. Prom came and went, and students didn't get to go. Graduation came and went, and students missed, marking the milestone. Dream weddings were turned into COVID weddings, and many of our loved ones didn't get to share the joy of the moment with us. Some of us fought cancer alone, had babies alone, had surgery alone. Some of us didn't get to see our grandkids for too long or visit our parents in assisted living communities. Some of us lost jobs, lost businesses that we spent our lives building, lost homes, lost any sense of financial security. Some of us lost loved ones and had to grieve alone without even a service to memorialize a life lived. In fact, we have families here at Dayspring who still haven't had a memorial service yet, and some never will. We've lost some freedoms along the way. Some of us are still losing what we consider to be the freedom to choose. I think it's safe to say we've lost that sense of one nation under God. We've lost the freedom to travel like we had grown used to, and we've lost the freedom to touch, to shake a hand, high-five, or hug without second-guessing our impulse to do so. Think of all the disappointments along the way. Those are losses as well. In a nutshell, we've lost normal. Whatever normal was to you, it's lost another victim of a global pandemic. When we use the word grief, the loss of life comes to mind. We grieve the death of a loved one. But death isn't the only thing that causes grief. All loss causes grief. All loss causes grief. And during this series, we'll probably use the two words interchangeably. But when we talk about grief, we are talking about any loss. Under the best of circumstances, grieving loss can be challenging. Everyone grieves their own way, processes, processes loss their own way, or stuffs it and ignores it their own way. And in fight-or-flight mode, it all gets stuffed. Grief isn't processed in the limbic system. Rick Warren, a lead pastor of Saddleback Church, who created this series after the death of his son, 
has said that there is a tsunami of grief headed our way. The impact of COVID is grief like we've never experienced it. What gets stuffed and shelved when you are in survival mode eventually works its way out. There is a tsunami of grief headed our way, and the churches that are best equipped to help people process that grief are the ones that will be the most effective. When we think of tsunamis, we think of a giant wave. And in this case, I think that's true. However, I think it will be waves. Like my sister-in-law, I think May and June hit and we saw a light at the end of the tunnel and began to decompress a little. People were getting vaccinated. The restrictions we fought about and against were eased. And hope of something better than the current normal, even if it wasn't the old normal, was restored. And as we let down our hair, unbeknownst to us, the ability to grieve returned. But then COVID Delta hit and things started tightening up again. So waves. I don't think it's possible to have made it through the past 18 months without experiencing some loss, loss of some type, which means that all of us are in good company. It doesn't matter whether you are a Christ follower or not. You might be watching today trying to figure out how to process loss as a Muslim or as a Buddhist or as an atheist. Grief and loss are grief and loss no matter what you believe. And if that describes your spiritual background, thank you for watching today. This is a great place to figure out how to process loss no matter what you believe. Following Christ doesn't keep you from experiencing loss and grief, but it does make the journey better. We're all navigating loss, some of us more overwhelming than others, but loss just the same. So let's find a little encouragement from some of the Apostle Paul's words in the Bible. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, turn or navigate to his second letter to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Now, this is perfect for us right now. Life is filled with trouble. God comforts us so we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Now, highlight that verse uh, or underline it in your Bible. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Continuing in verse 8, 
Uh, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. Now remember, (laughs) this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. He's the one who taught us how to live in love like Christ. In other words, he's saying, I was so depressed, I was ready to die. I give up. I throw in the towel. I I just can't do this anymore. Just let me die. That's deep depression. So deep, we didn't even think we'd live. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then, Paul says, then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Now, Paul knows what we've been feeling because he's been there. He's been in hopeless situations that seemed like they'd never end, and yet they did. He survived. He made it. I find these words incredibly encouraging. Let's jump back to verse 7. I generally use the New Living Translation when I'm teaching, but for this verse, let's jump to the New International Version, the NIV. I think it will help us understand it better. And in the NIV, it reads, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Now, let's make a note of three phrases. Our hope is firm because we know. What you know is what gets you through life. What you know gets you through the hard times. What you know walks you through the valleys. If you don't know the right things, when the tsunami comes, the wave will overwhelm you. It'll knock you down. You'll be washed out to sea. When you face the great losses of life, and you will face great losses in life, if you don't know the right truth, you aren't going to stand spiritually strong. What you know gets you through. So as Christ followers, let me remind you of three of those truths we know. Now again, if you are here today, or watching online and you aren't a Christ follower, we pray that you'll find some comfort in our comfort. Not all of these truths apply to you, but they do give you a picture of some of the benefits of surrendering your life to Jesus. As Rick Warren says, you will experience major losses in life. There is no growth without change. There is no change without loss. There is no loss without pain. And there is no pain without grief. 
you know from experience that you are going to face loss. So things might be coming up all roses for you right now in this moment, but you know trouble and pain and loss are coming at some point around the corner. If you are going to get through what you are going through, it will help you to remember these three things. First, we know that life doesn't make sense. We know that life doesn't make sense, but we know that we can have peace because God is with us and he loves us. Life doesn't make sense. You know this. Look at the world around us. Clearly, there are lots of things that don't make sense. We often have more questions than we have answers. We don't know why things happen the way they do. We don't know why good people suffer and evil people seem to, well, not suffer. Uh, we are often like little children trying to make sense of the world. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why did I lose my job? Why didn't I get that promotion? Why did my wife walk out on me? Why did my husband die? Why do I have cancer? Why? 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 Life is filled with unanswered whys that we won't have an answer to until the other side of eternity. We just don't know. Life doesn't make sense. Bad people prosper. Good people suffer. I know people often forget that pastors are people too. But even pastors experience loss. When our son was arrested for drug possession in high school, we experienced loss. We had to grieve the loss of our hopes and dreams for our son's future. We had to grieve the loss of control over our own lives while we walked him through the legal process. Loss happens to all of us. Life doesn't make sense, but we can still experience peace. Peace is found when we journey through six discernible stages of reaction to loss. Peace is on the other side. You're going to go through these six stages when you face loss. Uh, peace is on the other side of these six stages. You might go through them all at once. You might go back and forth, repeating them over and over again, but you're going to go through them. And the first one is shock. Uh, long before coming to Dayspring, I worked for a company that needed to resize their company in order to survive. That's a nice way of saying that people got laid off. All through the process, my boss, the owner, had me help with the process for each person being laid off. And then she called me into her office. I was the last one she laid off. I felt the walls close in around me as a fog flowed through my brain. I was in shock. You lose your job, you're in shock. Your doctor tells you that it's cancer, you're in shock. Someone you love dies, you're in shock. There's no time limit for how long shock lasts. An hour, a day, a month. Shock lasts as long as shock lasts for you. Once shock passes, you move to the second stage, sorrow. And you begin to grieve. Sorrow is a godly emotion. Shock is a purely human emotion. Uh, God is never shocked because God 
knows everything. He never goes, what in the world was that? He already knows. So he's never shocked. But sorrow is a godly emotion. God grieves. You can grieve because you are made in the image of God. The Apostle John told us that Jesus wept. One of Jesus' titles was the man of sorrows. Grieving is good. Grieving is the way we get through life's transitions. And then you move from shock to sorrow to stage three, struggle. Struggle is where you ask the why questions. Why me? Why now? Why this? You won't get the answers for the whys, but it's still okay to ask the questions. Even Jesus on the cross asked why. My God, my God, why? It's okay to ask why. The test of faith comes when you don't get the answer. The fourth stage on our journey to peace is surrender. Surrender is where you stop asking and start submitting and surrendering and accepting. Surrender is the gateway to peace. You can't get true peace without surrender. And then you get to stage five, and it's a big churchy word, sanctification. Sanctification is when God starts bringing good out of the bad. He starts making changes in you. He transforms you, makes you more like Jesus. You become more like him in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. And then, once God is making you more like Jesus, you come to stage six, service. This is where God takes your greatest pain and turns it into your ministry. He makes your mess into a message. Your test becomes a testimony. He uses your brokenness for the good of other people. That's how he redeems our junk. Your greatest ministry comes out of your greatest pain. We'll take a look at all six stages in detail. But here's your hope for today. No matter what stage you are in, you are not in it alone. God is with you because he loves you. And that's why we can have peace even when life doesn't make sense. Because God is with me and because God loves me. The Bible is filled with God's promises. More than 6,000 of them. Here's one of my favorites. This has personally encouraged me, and I've texted it to more people than I can count when they feel like their lives have been hit by a bus. Uh, here's Isaiah chapter 43, verses 2 through 4. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. In other words, I paid a great price for you. Out of everyone else in the world, 
I chose you. In fact, others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. I've thought I'd drown in deep waters. Like the Apostle Paul, I've been there. But God has always rescued me. When it comes to worrying about money, I used to worry about money all of the time until I really learned this next truth. And now I only worry about money every now and then. Hebrews 13.5 says, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. (laughs) These words are true in every area of life, not just money. You'll find this promise all throughout Scripture. And maybe you've been abandoned by your parents, by a spouse, by a friend. God will never abandon you. With more than 6,000 promises, we could go on all day. Let's look at just one more before we move on. Back in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15 this time. Again, this is God speaking. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. Could a mother forget her nursing child? Obviously not. No woman could be nursing a baby and forget the baby at the same time. But even if that were true, if that were possible, God would not forget you. No matter what we have going on in our lives, even when we don't have the answers, and we rarely do, even then, we have the presence of God. And we know He loves us. That's the first thing we need to remember. When life doesn't make sense, we can still have peace because God is with us and God loves us. The second thing we need to know and remember, everything on earth is broken, but we can still have joy because we know God is good and he's got a greater plan. We don't get to experience the earth as God created it. He created a paradise, a Garden of Eden. There were no tsunamis, earthquakes, floods, fires, any other kind of natural disaster. We have sin to thank for that. Sin broke the world. Sin and evil broke everything in the world, not just the climate. The economy doesn't work perfectly. It's broken. None of our plans work perfectly. No relationship is perfect. Even the most loving relationships don't work perfectly. Our bodies are broken. Our brains are broken. We have thoughts we can't control, compulsions we can't break, attractions, fears, depression, rage, anxiety. We, we all struggle with mental illness. We might not be diagnosable, but thanks to sin, we still struggle. Everything is broken. Isaiah was a prophet ahead of his time. He spoke to this thousands of years ago. He could be describing right now. Let's look at a couple of verses in Isaiah chapter 24. The whole chapter speaks to this brokenness and is worth taking a look at, but for now, 
let's just look at verses 5 and 19. The earth suffers for the sins of its people, for they have twisted God's instructions, violated his laws, and broken his everlasting covenant. The earth has broken up. It has utterly collapsed. It is violently shaken. We're confused about everything. Everything. We're confused about money. We're confused about sex, about life, about time. Sin has twisted the truth, leaving confusion in its wake. Everything is broken, and everything broken brings suffering with it. But we can still have joy because we know that God is good and has a better purpose and greater plan. Romans 8.28 is one of the greatest promises in the Bible and probably the most misunderstood. Here, Paul, the suffering servant, just like us, says in verse 28, and we know, now there's that we know again, that know, we know that God causes everything, not just some things or only the good things, but all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Note that this promise isn't for everybody. It's only for those who love God. If you love God, everything that happens in your life, good and bad, is going to be used by God for good. That's God's specialty. Good out of bad. On the other hand, if you don't love God, all things aren't working for good in your life. In fact, just the opposite is true. Your life is working against God, so things are working out the wrong way. We should also note that this verse doesn't say that everything that happens is good. There's a lot of bad junk in the world. Racism is bad. Terrorism is bad. Cancer is bad. Bigotry is bad. Human trafficking is bad. Not everything that happens is good. God is not the author of evil. There's a lot of bad stuff because we are broken, sinful people who demand to do things our own way. We can't blame that on God. It also doesn't say that everything that happens is God's will. In heaven, everything is perfect because everything happens according to God's will. This isn't heaven. This world is broken. God's will is rarely done here. That's why Jesus told us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But for the believer, the promise is that his plans and purposes for your life have already made allowances for your sin and brokenness and the sin and brokenness in the world around you. And he will redeem that junk if you'll let him. Which is how we can have joy. Take a look at Romans 5, verses 3 to 5 with me. We can rejoice too. Now that's just another word for joy. We can have joy too when we run into problems and trials. 
For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Problems and trials and loss are training grounds for our faith. I've found that it's really easy to say we have faith when life is going the way we want it to, when it's easy. When life is going the way you want it to, it's easy to seem like we are more mature than we really are, which also (laughs) tends to make us a little bit lazy on our spiritual journey. Stress reveals the cracks in our character, the weaknesses in our faith. God uses our troubles and trials and loss to strengthen our faith, to deepen our character. We are different people on the other side of our valleys, which is also part of the proof of our salvation, proof of God's work in our lives. We can choose joy because our hope will ultimately not be disappointed because God has poured his love into our hearts and made us more like Jesus. Which leads us to the third thing we know. Life is a battle, but we can have hope because we know there is more to the story. When you are dealing with loss in the battle of life, you have a couple of options. You can blame and curse God. Just give up on him and walk away from your faith. Or, you can give God an out and take the blame on yourself. If only I'd been a better husband, or a better mother, or a better Christian. If, if only I'd had more faith, then this thing, this bad thing, wouldn't have happened. Uh, basically, you let God off the hook and carry the weight yourself. And I've seen people take both options. Neither one seems right to me. Notice that this verse doesn't promise we won't be disappointed along the way just that it won't end in disappointment. So what should you do when you're disappointed with God? If you're not going to blame God or blame yourself, then what are you left with? Well, what's left is a holy mystery. Hope is found in the tension of everything we know about God and everything we don't know about God. Even when it seems like we are at the end, the story is still being written. I read just about every night before I go to sleep. It helps me shut down my mind. I've read thousands of books through my lifetime. I know how this works. The tension builds, and it feels like all hope is lost. The bad guy is going to come out on top. The hero or heroine is going to lose. It's those parts of the book that I'm tempted to skim or swipe through really fast on my Kindle. I don't like that feeling. I'm an eternal optimist, and I hate it when evil wins, even in my fiction. Pain and trauma are not two of my favorite things. Of course, I'm also not wild about raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Just give me the end where good triumphs over evil. 
Uh, even in the best of times, we are living with the tension between lost, of, of lost hope because this world is broken. But unlike my Kindle, I can't swipe past the hard stuff. Back in 2 Corinthians, Paul put it this way in chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. 2,000 years ago, hope died with Jesus only to be raised to new life three days later. Hope is on the other side of the bad stuff. And we ain't dead yet. Without the bad stuff, we wouldn't recognize hope if it hit us up alongside the head. There is more to the story. We haven't reached the end. Hope may not look the way we think it should, or thought it should, or want it to should. But hope is alive because of what we know. Hope lies right there at the intersection between what we know and what we don't know. Hope will get us to the other side. Now, as we close, here's what I know to be true. Some of you are in the thick of your loss and need a sliver of peace, joy, and hope. Let the truth of God's word seep into your spirit. Some of you are still living in fight-or-flight mode and haven't even begun to process your losses. And some of you are going to need these truths tomorrow because life is messy and your losses are just around the corner. So log these three truths away. You're going to need them. For all of us, there is a tsunami of grief coming. God is preparing you to step boldly into the grief of your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, your family. This is a time for the church to rise up and minister the grace of Jesus. So let's allow these next few weeks to comfort us so that we can pass that comfort on to others. We can't keep it to ourselves. When we do that, it loses power to comfort us in our own lives. We have to give it away. And the more we give it away, the more we find we have. Let's pray. Father, we, we all know, we knew before we came in the doors this morning that life is messy, that everything is broken, and there is just a lot of junk that we are dealing with in our own lives, 
in the lives of loved ones that, that we come into contact with in our culture. There's just a lot of loss. And right now in these moments, we just want to lay that loss down at the cross. In these moments, wherever you are, emotionally or spiritually or physically, you have lost something in this last season. Name it. The first step to healing is you've you got to name your loss. You've got to know what you're dealing with. So name your loss. In fact, um, in our communication card, I've, in, I've added a question this week. What, what are you grieving? What loss are you grieving? I want you to, I want you to name your loss and let us know. So we know how to pray for you. We're all dealing with loss. And we want to be healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, physically people who deal with loss in ways that, that take us to the other side, changed, more in love with Jesus, more deeply aware that he walks through this journey with us. No one likes valleys. No one likes dealing with, with loss. But God, we are so thankful that you walk with us. You hem us in. You're there even when it, it seems like we're alone. You hem us in with your presence. Father, thank you for what we know to be true about you. And help us to rest in what we know securely that we can make it through what we don't know. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Thank you for your financial support of our ministries. God does great things in people's lives because of your faithfulness. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, like, and share this service wherever you watch it. The message of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. He is the best answer to all of life's challenges. We'll see you next week. 
go in the grace of God.